Romans 4, 1 through 5. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Hey, let's turn our Bibles to Romans chapter 4, the passage that Liz just read. And uh, yeah, we're beginning a new series today, Harvest. A series entitled, Holy Redeemed. Do we have some redeemed saints in the house this morning? Redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Yeah, we're going to look today at Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, and get our series kicked off. As you're turning there, let me read a passage for you from Jeremiah, a passage that I think in many ways links up with the book of Romans. Uh, This is on the screen. You can read this. This is one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24 says this. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. Our message today is entitled Boast in This, and I want to talk about boasting, but before I get to that, let me just, let me just tell you a little something from my childhood. When I was a kid, I played a lot of basketball. Does that surprise anybody in this room this morning? I played a lot of basketball, and I, when I played basketball, I was really good at one particular skill. I, I had a few skills, but I was really good at this skill. And the skill that I was really good at was trash talking. <laughs> I could trash talk with the best of them. And that, you know, if you ever play basketball, that's, that's kind of the culture of basketball. It's like, it's like psychological warfare on the basketball court. You got to kind of demean somebody else's skills and kind of lift up your own skills. You got to talk about how bad the other person is, how good you are. It's just kind of basketball, you know. And, you know, what I really like to do, my favorite thing to do was, you know, as we were coming down on offense, about to run a play, I'd, I liked telling people what I was going to do right before I did it to them. So I would tell them, you know, I'm going to, you know, when we come down here, I'm going to fake right, I'm going to go left, and then I'm going to lay it up off the glass right in front of everybody. And then I would go and I would do it. And it was incredibly satisfying to do that. Sinfully satisfying to do that. Now, for me, all of that came crashing to an end when I tore my ACL when I was 16. I could no longer talk trash on the basketball court because I couldn't back it up anymore. So, you know, I became slow and I was always injured and I had nothing to brag about. So I, I, I stopped bragging. And that was humbling for me. Humbling and necessary for me. Now, let me transition this analogy. Thank you for listening to my old basketball stories and for humoring me. Let me transition this to the Christian life. In the Christian life, there's no such thing as trash talk. There's no such thing as bragging, really. But there is a thing called boasting. There is. 
And, but, but we need to be careful with this boasting because we need to boast in the right things, right? In Romans 3, verse 27, Paul says, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. In other words, you can't boast in your works. Your works can't save you. So don't be boasting about that. We are all holy unholy before the Lord. That was Paul's argument in Romans 1 through 3. Did you get that? We all stand before the Lord and we say, we are not worthy. We are not holy. We are unholy before a holy, holy God. That's, that's, that's the whole argument. And so what do we boast in then? Not our works. Philippians chapter 3, Paul, Paul talks about boasting and he he, he flips the script on boasting, so to speak. He, he said, you know, I'd have plenty to boast about if I wanted to boast. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, you can read this on the screen. I have more, says Paul. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, says Paul, as to the law a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless, says Paul. What's Paul saying here? Basically, he's saying, I was the Michael Jordan of Judaism. I had it all. And then he does this amazing thing. After that, he says, but whatever gain I had, this is his conclusion of the matter, I count it as loss for the sake of of Christ. Indeed, I count everything, all of that good stuff, all of those, those accolades. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. In other words, I'm not going to boast in my own righteousness, says Paul. I'm not going to boast in being a Jew. I'm not going to boast in my ethnicity as a Jew. I'm going to boast in Christ. All my confidence is in Christ. My gain is in Christ. That's what I'm going to boast in. So here's my question. Here's, here's the question I want to address this morning. Here's the question I want to answer. Some of y'all might be asking that even right now, like, okay, Pastor, should we boast? Is it okay to boast? What kind of boasting should we do? My answer to the question, should we boast, is this. Yes! Yes, we should boast. In fact, we already have with our songs and singing praises to the Lord. But here's the thing about boasting. You got to boast about the right things. You got to boast in the right things. And we're going to talk all about that today. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 31. I think this is Paul echoing Jeremiah 9. Paul says this. He says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You got to get your boast right. And, and really, I mean, I'm, this message is about boasting, but it's really more than just boasting. It's not just putting your boast in the right thing. It's putting your faith in the right thing. You better put your faith in the right thing. And then when you put your faith in the right thing, you have reason to boast in the Lord. So here we go, Harvest Decatur. Here's your outline for today. I want to give you three things that Christians can boast about from Romans 4, 1 through 5. Three things. Here's number one. We can boast in this, Harvest Decatur. We boast in justification by grace not works, right? We're justified by grace. We're justified, justified by faith. You know, like I said last week, you know, Paul, Paul concluded that amazing argument in Romans 1 through 3 
with that climactic state statement, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul argues for three chapters because he wants to get it through to us. You know, we can be kind of dense sometime. He says, we're all sinners. If, if you think you're not a sinner, you are a sinner. If you're a Gentile, you're condemned as a sinner. If you're a Jew, you're condemned as a sinner. All of us are condemned before God because of our sinfulness. Paul shows that all humanity, red and yellow, black and white, we are all sinful in God's sight. We all need a Savior. And praise God that he, he tells us that. I mean, I, thank you. Thanks, Paul, for letting us know. I'd rather know than not know. But also praise God that Romans 3.23, that climactic statement, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, if it, if it just ended there, we'd all be depressed. But thank God that Romans 3.23 is followed by Romans 3.24, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Right? Is that in y'all's Bible? Are y'all awake this morning? Come on now. Daylight savings time, forget that. Come on now. <laughs> Praise God that Romans 3.24 follows Romans 3.23. If you need to review it, review it right now. Look back at Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but all are justified by grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. You want something to boast about this morning? Boast in that, Harvest Decatur. So now, moving on. Chapter 4 of Romans Paul wants to elaborate on this truth by looking at two famous figures in the Old Testament. He wants to look at Abraham, and he wants to look at David. Because the objections of the Jewish people in Paul's day would go something like this. Oh, okay, so you say that we are all saved by grace, Paul, not by works? Well, what about Abraham? Wasn't he justified by works? What about David? What about David? What about these great Old Testament saints? What about the other Old Testament saints? Weren't they saved by works? Paul's going to deal with that objection here in Romans 4, and I'm sure Paul fielded that objection several times as he was ministering and evangelizing the Jewish people. So Paul talks about Abraham. We're going to talk about Abraham today. And then he talks about David. We're going to talk about David next week. And what Paul says about Abraham is that what's true for us as New Testament believers, what's true for those who listened to Paul when he evangelized after Jesus' resurrection, was true for Abraham in the Old Testament too. Abraham was not justified by works. He wasn't. He was justified by faith. And Paul has the Bible text to prove it here to us. Abraham didn't boast in his, work, his good works. Abraham couldn't boast in his good works. He was a sinner, just like the rest of us. He, he was a pagan idol worshiper from the Ur of the Chaldeans before God called him out of that. He wasn't saved by works. He was saved by faith. He was saved by God's grace. Look at verse 1 with me. Here's what Paul says. He says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. But not before God. Was Abraham justified by works? No. One of the most famous verses in the Old Testament. 
confirms this. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Paul quotes it in verse 3. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. As Abraham wasn't credited righteousness because of his righteousness. He was, he was credited righteousness because of his faith. The question in verse 1 is actually a rhetorical question. What was gained by Abraham according to the flesh? What did he gain in his striving? What did he gain by his good works? What did he gain by good deeds? The answer to that is nothing. He, he didn't gain anything, not in terms of favor with God. And it's not like Abraham was a bad guy either. I mean, let's deal with Abraham honestly. I mean, he had some good sides and he had some bad sides, just like everybody else, right? I mean, he was, he was married to one woman until she died, Sarah. He dealt honorably with the Hittites in Genesis 23 when he bought a burial plot for his wife. He dealt honorably and generously with his nephew, Lot. To be honest, his nephew, Lot, was kind of a dope. And Abraham was good to him. You know, when their flocks got too large and they needed to separate, he was generous with him. When Lot got himself into trouble, Abraham raised up an army to go rescue Lot when he was in trouble. Abraham was a courageous man. When God told Abraham to go somewhere, Abraham obeyed. When God told him to sacrifice his son Isaac in Genesis 22, Abraham didn't hesitate. He did what God said. So, I mean, Abraham had some good sides to him. But I, I can prove this to you as well. Abraham was very clearly a sinner, wasn't he? When he went to Egypt, he deceived people about his wife. He told people, oh, yeah, she's my sister, which was only half true. He put her in danger. He put himself in danger. He put other innocent people in danger. He was more fearful than faithful in that instance. After God made the promise in Genesis 15, he took a concubine named Hagar and he tried to enact God's promises for a son. And that didn't work out so well. That was a mistake. Abraham was a sinner, just like you and I are sinners. And Paul knows that. So, so when he says in verse 1, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? The obvious answer to that rhetorical question is nothing. Nothing was gained. He gained nothing according to the flesh. Everything that he gained was from God. And here's the application for you, Christian. What did you gain according to your flesh? What favor do you deserve from God? What favor did you earn from God? What did you do to receive God's grace? In your flesh, the answer to that is nothing. You did nothing to earn that. You don't earn it. It's an act of grace. It's a gift of grace. And you've, you've got to get to that place. You've got to get to that place if you're going to be saved. Setting aside your works, setting aside your doing, setting aside your de deeds, coming to a place saying, I can't save myself. I can't do this on my own. I need somebody else to save me. I need this free gift of salvation. In other words, otherwise I won't be saved. Everybody with me? Have you come to that place? Do you know that to be true? Sola fide, sola gratia, by grace alone, by faith alone. Paul says, for if Abraham was justified by works, he'd have something to boast about, but not before God. He might have something to boast about at the water cooler at work. Hey, well, you know, I'm better than you guys are. Got more good works than you guys do. Great, but not before God. 
nothing to boast of before God. If you were justified by works, Christian, you'd have something to boast about. If you were justified by works, you could, you could brag about that all day. I saved myself. I'm so righteous. I'm so good. You could sing songs to yourself. You come to church and sing songs about yourself with other people. You know, we came this morning and great worship set, by the way, worship team. That was fantastic. And I love singing that, that Charles Wesley hymn, Oh, for a Thousand Tongues to Sing. I love that hymn. People sang that. You know, that, that song is almost 300 years old. People have been singing that song and celebrating Jesus with that song for three, almost 300 years. Charles Wesley could never have envisioned that, that we in America would be singing that right now in Decatur, Illinois. What an incredible thing. And, and what are we celebrating in, this, in that song? What are we celebrating? Are we celebrating our works? Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing the greatness of my works. Is that what we're singing? The glories of my righteousness, the triumph of my deeds. God forbid that we would sing that. And it, is it, of course we don't sing that. I'm, I'm being ridiculous to make a point here. What would Abraham sing if he was here? What would he would celebrate? He would say, oh, if only I had a thousand tongues to sing of my great Redeemer's praise. The glories of my God and King, the triumph of His grace. Right, church? By the way, I want to say this. You know, you're talking about boasting. You might say, okay, Pastor Tony, I boast. I've been waiting to boast. What, what can I boast about? How can I boast? Show me how. I'll tell you how to boast. In fact, I'll tell you when to boast. Everybody listening? Every Sunday. Every Sunday, we gather together and we boast in Christ. Don't we? And we lift high the name of Jesus and we celebrate what he's done for us. We, we boast when we sing, he can do it. Yes, he can. He will prove it. Our God can. No one else can save us, redeem us, create a new life in us. Only Jesus can, and we boast in him. We boast when we sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. With all creation, I sing praise to the King of kings. You are my everything, and I will adore you. We boasted this morning already when we sang, who the Son sets free. Oh, is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Every Sunday. You don't have to wait till Sunday. It just gets better on Sunday. I mean, you could do it on Monday morning. Sure. You got your Pandora's whatever mix that you're playing. Go for it. But it gets better here. And the, the gathering of the saints as we worship together. Go ahead and write this down as number two in your notes. Here's another thing that we boast about. We boast in justification by grace, not works. We also boast in the spiritual heritage we have through Abraham. Paul says this in verse 3. He says, For what do the scripture, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, this is a quote from Genesis 15. But what was the context of what, day, what um, God was telling Abraham? In that passage, do you remember? 
By the way, it wasn't Abraham at the time. It was Abram. And God hadn't changed his name yet. God had called Abram out of the Ur of the Chaldeans in Genesis 11, Genesis 12. And God told Abram, I will make you a great nation. But several years later, Abraham was old and his wife was old and they had no offspring. They were in their 80s, actually, in Genesis uh, 15. So when God shows up in Genesis 15 and, you know, no offspring, uh, God tells Abraham, fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Abram essentially says, you know, what gives God? You know, I'm old. My wife is old. And, you know, the person who's going to inherit my household is this guy, my servant, Eliezer. He's going to inherit. I don't have squat. How, how is this going to come true? And here's what God tells him in Genesis 15, 4 and 5. You can read this on the screen. Behold, the word of the Lord. That's key there. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. This man, Eliezer, your servant. Your very own son shall be your heir. Abraham is in his 80s. His, his wife is old. How in the world is this going to happen? Your son shall be your heir? How am I going to have a son? And he brought him outside. And he said, look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, Abraham. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. That was God's revelation to Abraham. And, you know, this, let's just face it. This was a truly unbelievable promise that God gave him. It required faith to believe this. Abraham and Sarah, they were past the years of childbearing. Even if they, even, let's say they even did have a child in their 80s or their 90s. It actually was several years later that Sarah had a child, Isaac. Abraham was 100 years old at that time. Even if they did have a child in their old age, I mean, the odds were stacked against them that that baby would ever survive, that, 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 that they, he would thrive in the place where they were. They were in a hostile land. They didn't know anybody. They didn't own any land in Canaan. There was a better chance, honestly, there was a better chance, humanly speaking, that Abraham and his son would be killed by a raid than that he would become this, this father of a great nation. But what did Abraham do after God told him this? You guys know this. Y'all have read this before. How did Abraham respond to God's words? That's one of the most famous statements in the Old Testament. And it gets repeated in the New Testament again and again and again in the book of James, in the book of Hebrews, in the book of Romans. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. In the Hebrew, it goes like this Baha Amin Ba'adonai. Abraham believed in Yahweh. This is actually the first time in the Bible, in the Old Testament, that the word believe is used. It's the Hebrew word Amon. Baha Amin Ba'adonai. He believed in Yahweh and Yahweh credited it to him as righteousness okay everybody with me now this is really important stay with me I want y'all to hear this this is why this passage is so significant it's not just that Abraham believed the unbelievable okay that's great that's great his faith was great it's not enough to just believe the unbelievable Abraham believed what God told him that was unbelievable 
You see the difference? Let me say it this way. Abraham isn't just our great example of faith because he believed the unbelievable, that he and Sarah would have a child in their own age. Abraham is our great example of faith because he believed the unbelievable that God promised him. That is so key. Are you all with me? Listen, here's, this, this is why this is important. Because you might say, oh, Christianity, Christianity is about faith. It's about believing the unbelievable thing that God did. Oh, it's about faith. Okay. Well, I believe. I believe I'm a leprechaun. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it's going to happen. I'm a leprechaun. I'm a leprechaun. I'm a leprechaun. I'm a leprechaun. That, that must be Christianity. You believe the unbelievable, so I, I'm a leprechaun. Is that, is that Christianity? Is that what we're talking about here? Did God ever promise you, Tony, you're going to be a leprechaun? I mean, I'm Irish, sort of, but no, he didn't say that. You might say, that, that's ridiculous, Tony. Nobody ever talks like that. People talk like that about Christianity all the time. You just got to believe. You got to believe. You got to believe. You know, I, I, I believe, Pastor Tony, I'm going to be an NBA basketball player, even though I'm five foot tall and I have no eye-hand coordination at all. To be honest, you got a better chance of being a leprechaun. <laughs> God has not promised that. You guys know people talk like this. You know it. It's not about just believing the unbelievable. It's believing what God has revealed to us. Right? That's the essence of our faith. People say, I believe God's going to do this. I believe God's going to make me rich. I believe God's going to heal this person or raise the dead or do this amazing thing. That is not the faith of Abraham that we're talking about here. He didn't just believe some unbelievable thing and try to talk God into it. That's what we do. We believe some unbelievable thing. We try to talk God into it. God told him something and he believed it. That's the essence of our faith. Look again at verse 3. What does it say? Abraham believed God. Abraham believed God. God is the source of his faith. God is the source of this truth. Abraham certainly didn't believe in himself. I hear that all the time too. I just got to believe in yourself. What does that mean? Don't we have something better to believe in than ourselves? I don't want to believe in myself. I want to believe in God. That's the faith that, that Christianity represents. That's what we, that was modeled for us by Abraham. Here, here's why this is relevant. This is so relevant. Here's why I want y'all to get this. What is the thing from God's word, that unbelievable truth that he has told you that he wants you to believe? Uh, uh, let me just tell you right now, it's not that in your 80s or your 90s, you're going to have a child like Abraham. <sighs> that promise was unique to Abraham. But let me ask you this. Steve, you listening? <laughs> what did God promise you? What unbelievable thing did God promise you from the New Testament that he wants you to believe? He told us this in his word, that he would come as a child into our world, take on human flesh. That is unbelievable. God taking on human flesh that he would live a perfect life in this world. And it, it, gets, it gets more amazing than that. 
that he would willingly submit himself to wicked human beings to be tortured and persecuted and crucified and put to death on a cross. And not only that, it gets, it gets even better than that. That he would rise from the dead and that your faith in that thing that God did would save you from your sins. That's unbelievable. That is what God has called you to believe. And if you believe that, like Abraham believed what God told him, it will be credited to you as righteousness. You didn't earn that. You didn't, earn, you didn't do right to get that. It's a gift. It's a gift. That's the way gifts work. They're given and you receive them. You don't earn them. Abraham is our spiritual father in that way. And you might say, well, how is Abraham our spiritual father, Pastor Tony? We're not Jewish. Well, Abraham is our spiritual father because he believed God. We believe God. His faith was credited to him as righteousness. Our faith is credited to us as righteousness. By the way, before Abraham was the father of the Jewish nation, he was a pagan Gentile, just like you and me, by the way. We have more in common with Abraham than we admit sometimes. And God called him to be a follower. And that's awfully similar to what we experience when we embrace Christ and we follow him. In fact, the language of the New Testament gets even better than the Old Testament because we're called not just a follower of Jesus, but a son or daughter of God. That is amazing. And we can cry out, Abba, Father. Go ahead and write this down as number three. Here's the final thing to boast about. You guys ready to boast? We're going to sing a song in just a second, and I, I want us to boast. I want to reach a new level of boasting in this church, a new high watermark of us celebrating the Lord. Here's another thing that we can boast in. We boast in the work of the justifier, not our own works. Look at verse 4. Paul says, now to the one who works. Ooh, that's a dangerous thing right here. Now to the one who works. His wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Literally a debt. Paul is creating a dichotomy here. There is the way of works. There is the way of wages, works, and there is the way of grace. You better pick the right path. If you pick this path, the one who works, his wages are not counted to him as a gift, but as a due. And to the one who does not work, verse 5, this is amazing. The one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. We're not working for our salvation. We believe in the one who justifies the ungodly. You might say, I'm not ungodly, Pastor Tony. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. Paul just spent three chapters convincing us of that that we are holy and holy before the Lord. Now here's the good news. Here's the good news. God only justifies ungodly people. So there you go. And if you are a godly person, which you aren't, you can't be justified. So there you go. This is us. We are ungodly. Abraham's ungodly. God only justifies the ungodly. For the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. This passage Verses 1 through 5 here, it's like, a, it's like a justification sandwich. And in verses 1 and 2, 
Paul talks about justification in verses 4 and 5. He talks about justification. And then right in the middle there, the meat and cheese of this sandwich, is that great quote from the Old Testament. Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Let's talk about these wages. Now to him who works, the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Why is Paul talking about wages here? Why is he talking about wages? The reason is because in verse 3, Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. It wasn't a wage. Abraham wasn't a wage earner with the Lord. He didn't earn his righteousness. As I showed you already, Abraham was wholly unrighteous before the Lord. And so God, God didn't credit him righteousness because he earned it. It was a gift. Abraham actually earned judgment. What does the Bible say the wages of sin is? Death. That's what we get. If you want to go the wages route, if you want to go the works route, I'll just tell you where that ends up. That ends up in sin. That ends up in death. That ends up in condemnation. You don't want to go that way. Abraham didn't go that way. He went the way of faith. Similarly, you don't earn your salvation. You don't earn justification. You don't want wages when it comes to justification. Because if you ask for wages, you get not justification, but condemnation. That's your wage. That's what you earn. Think of it this way. Let me just illustrate this for you. This is from Tommy Nelson. I think this will be helpful for you. Imagine a young man who goes off to college, okay, a son. And that son, as he goes off to college, he doesn't have any money. And that was not unlike me 25 years ago when I went to Laternal University. I was broke, and maybe so were you when you went off to college. And so let's just imagine that this son, who is broke, decides to reach out to his dad for a little money. You know how this goes, right? And, you know, you know how men are too. Fathers and sons, they're usually concise with their wording. So the son sends a letter, sends a text to his father, and it goes like this. Dear dad, no mun, no fun, send some, your son. And maybe there's an emoji in that text of a guy with like his pockets hanging out, showing that he's broke. Dad gets the text. How does dad respond? Dear son, too bad. So sad. Your dad. And then he adds this postscript. Get a job if you want some money. Now let's say, let's just keep going here. Let's say the son gets that message and he says, no, 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 Dad, Dad, you owe me. You owe me for being a good son. You owe me for getting good grades. You owe me for being good to you and faithful in getting into this school. Pay me what you owe me. How's Dad going to respond to that? We got some dads in this room. I, I can probably imagine what some of you would do. Probably dad's going to send a note with an invoice <laughs> and a list of expenses for the last 18 years. Hospital bill when you were born, $10,000. 
clothing for the last 18 years, $20,000. If it's a daughter, it's $30,000, right? <laughs> Food for the last 18 years and counting, $100,000. Do you really want what I owe you, son? Let me, let's settle accounts. You are in arrears and you owe me. But let's say that dad has mercy on his son, which dads are want to do. And he gives him a little money and he puts it on his account and he says, son, go eat at Taco Bell with your buddies. Did that son earn that money? Of course not. It was a gift. And here's my point, Harvest Decatur. You don't earn God's free gift of salvation. It's credited. It's, I don't think we understand this in our day when we have credit cards and stuff. You know, going to the accountant, taking it off these books and putting it on another book. I took the righteousness that belonged to Christ and I put it on your books. You didn't earn that. It was credited to you by another person. That's our salvation. That's how we got saved. You don't earn it. You don't earn a gift. You don't work for a gift. You receive it. And that's incredibly humbling, isn't it now? To know that you can't do that. Look at verse 5 with me. This is so counterintuitive for some of you. I know it is. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. The one who does not work. That is so hard for us. That is so hard for us. Some of y'all have been working since you were 13. Everything you have is because you worked for it. You work, you work, you work. That's, that's what you did. You worked to finish school. You worked to get a degree. You worked to find a good job. You worked to make a good wage. You worked to find a spouse. And you worked hard to find her or to find him. You were on your best behavior for several dates to get that person to marry you. And you're still working. You're working hard to raise your kids. You're working hard. You worked hard to buy a car, to buy a house, and now you're working hard to pay it all off. And that's good. Keep working at that. I'm not saying quit. But you just need to know everything in your life you worked for except the most important thing in your life in your eternity. You didn't work for that. You can't work for that. Is that counterintuitive? It's a, you had to humble yourself, the hardworking person that you are, come before God and say, I got nothing. I got nothing. And I need you for everything. You are the Savior that saves me. You are my Redeemer. You are the justifier that credits righteousness to my account. I can't do that. Some of you might wonder, you know, why, Pastor? Why did God do it that way? Why didn't he let us work for it? You know, I don't, I don't always have answers to the why questions. I don't. I get a lot as a pastor. Why this? Why this? Why this? Why that? I know the answer to that why question. Why didn't God do it that way? I know the answer to that question because God gives us the answer. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. You can read this on the screen. This is Paul elsewhere. He says, for by grace have you been saved through faith, not of your own doing. You might say, hmm, that sounds like Romans 4. 
It is the gift of God, not a result of works. Why? 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 So that no one may boast. So that no one may boast in your works. And you know what? If it was by work, we would boast. Wouldn't we? Wouldn't we now? And we'd, we'd come to church and it, it wouldn't be a level playing field. And we'd all be like, hey, you know what? Here at church, I, I have a 95% attendance rating here at church. What do you think about that? Oh, well, that's good. I actually have a 96% attendance rating here at church. And besides that, I have a 91.5% Bible reading rate in the mornings, every morning, 91.5%. What do you think about that? And, and we would create, here's what we would create if it, if it was by works. We would create this hierarchy of works righteousness. And we would all kind of see where we fit on that. High, where's the pecking order? And we would give praise to ourselves and we would think highly of ourselves. But God says, I don't want it that way. I don't want my church that way. I want everybody in this church, when you show up to church, to know that it is a level playing field. You are all, including your pastor, sinners saved by grace. You don't boast in anything but that. You boast in the Lord. I love what George did a few weeks ago when he did announcements. Because he came up here and he said, my name is George Bennett and I am a sinner saved by grace. I, I heard audibly throughout the congregation, I was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Me too, George. That is so good. You know, and George, I mean, you guys know George. George could have said a lot of different things right there. He says, you know, I have a PhD in chemistry. Dr. George Bennett right here, okay? I'm the elder chair of this church, okay? On Monday nights, Pastor Tony answers to me, all right? Everybody got that? He could have said that, you know? I went to the Ohio State University. He could have said that too. And all of that would have been true. All of that would have been good even, except the Ohio State part. Everything else is good. <laughs> but what did he do? He, he leveled the playing field. I am a sinner saved by, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Me too, George. Me too, all of us. God wants it that way so that none of us boast. Horatius Bonner, the 19th century Scottish preacher, loved those Scottish preachers. He said it this way. You can read this on the screen. He said, not what these hands have done can save this guilty soul. Not what this toiling flesh has borne can make my spirit whole. Not what I feel or do can give me peace with God. Not all my prayers and sighs and tears can bear my awful load. Thy work alone, O Christ, can ease this weight of sin. Thy blood alone, O Lamb of God, can give me peace within. Thy grace alone, O God, to me can pardon speak. Thy power alone, O Son of God, can this sore bondage break. I bless the Christ of God. I rest on love divine and with unfaltering lip and heart. I call this Savior mine. Boast in that, Harvest Decatur. Boast in the justifier. Boast in Jesus Christ, our Savior, 
our Lord. We're going to do that in just a second. I'll close with this. I want to close with something technical this morning. Can I do that? Can, it, can you give me two or three more minutes? According to that clock, I have like another hour until I'm done. So <laughs> I don't need an hour. I just need two or three minutes. And I want to go back to that passage from Jeremiah that I read at the beginning of this message and just walk you through something technical, okay? Here's what that passage in Jeremiah said. Jeremiah wrote, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, etc. And the LXX, which is the, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, in Jeremiah, there's a word that Jeremiah uses for boast. It's the word kaukamai in Greek, kaukamai. Turn to your neighbor right now and say kaukamai. Paul uses that same Greek word in Romans 2 and Romans 5. He uses the noun form of that word kaukama in Romans 4.2, the passage that we just read, we just worked through. And I think with Paul, I think as he's writing in Romans, in these middle chapters of Romans, he's ruminating on Jeremiah 9. He's ruminating on this idea of boasting. What should we boast in? What shouldn't we boast in? The positive and the negative sides of kaukamai. We should boast in the Lord. We shouldn't boast in riches, might, and wisdom. Okay? So that's the Greek side of that. But let me take you to the Hebrew, because the Hebrew in Jeremiah is significant. The, the word that that Jeremiah uses for boast in or glory in or praise is the word halal. And even if you don't know Hebrew, you should be familiar with that word because we get, we use the word hallelujah from this word halal. And this word halal, it means to praise or to glory in or to boast in. So when we say, you know, we say hallelujah, right? So hallelujah, what does that mean? Hallelujah is this imperative plural form of that verb, halal. Hallelujah. And yah is the abbreviated form of Yahweh. So when I say hallelujah, I'm saying praise the Lord. And it's actually a command in the Old Testament, like do it, let's do it. Hallelujah. Let's praise the Lord. Let's praise the Lord. Everybody with me? So let's change the terminology because this word halal is, is fluid and it can be used to boast in too. So one of the things that we're saying when we say hallelujah is we're saying let's let's boast in the Lord. Let's let's boast in him right now. Hallelujah. Let's boast in the Lord. Let's boast in Jesus our savior. So let's go back to Jeremiah and I'll read this passage and you can see the the expressions of this word halal all throughout the passage. Jeremiah says this. He says let not the wise man halal in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man halal in his might. Let not the rich man halal his riches. In other words, don't, don't hallelujah your riches. Hallelujah your riches. No, don't do that. Don't hallelujah your might. Don't hallelujah wisdom. Instead, we hallelujah. We hallelujah the Lord. If you want to put it in a New Testament era context, you might say this. Hallelujah Jesus. Praise the Lord. We boast in the Lord. But let him who boasts, says Jeremiah, let him who boasts, boast, halal, in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. 
Who are you going to boast in? Harvest Decatur? Where is your halal placed? Is it placed in your wisdom? Your own wisdom? Is it placed in your own might? Is it placed in something else? Paul might say, is it your works? Hallelujah, my own works. Let me add it. Let me say it even more eternally than that. What are you hanging your hat on for eternity? Is it your wisdom, your power, your might, your works? As far as I'm concerned, my boast, what I'm hanging my hat on, my eternity, it belongs to the Lord, and I'm going to put my faith in him. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus.